This podcast is a production of Community Covenant Church in Eagle River, Alaska, a place where real people meet a real God to live in a real world. For more information, check out our website at communitycovenant.net. Well, good morning again, and I'm Neil, one of the pastors here. And uh, Brian, come on up here. Uh, This is Brian Hagee. Brian and his family have been a part of... uh, Community Covenant Church on and off since 1995. Now, to say on and off, it's been mostly on uh, during that time. Uh, two, two breaks uh, years ago when they were reassigned with the military. You left Alaska and then returned uh, a few years later. And then more recently, um, Brian and his family, uh, up until earlier this year, served as a family with a youth with a mission, or YWAM, most of that time in Norway for a little over two years. And uh, they're now back, and uh, Brian is a husband and a father, uh, married to Janelle, and they have three kids, uh, Jensen, Tessa, and Thad. And uh, uh, during his, his day job, Brian is a pilot, and uh, we have a privilege of having Brian uh, share the word of God with us today. So, Brian. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, I went last night to Stomp. Did anybody get to go to Stomp last night? A couple people? Yeah? I'm feedbacking. I'm going to walk around a little bit. So, uh, so in the stomp thing, it's a percussion thing. It was uh, they bang on pots and ba- they use basketballs and they do all this kind of stuff. So, if you if you hear me, how can I stop that? Uh, if you hear me, you know, in the middle of the thing, I just start doing something like this. You know, then then you know that this is from Stomp last night. But last night they they did throughout Stomp they did this little clapping thing, and I'm going to try it with you. Okay, so you just do what I do. Are you ready? Okay. Okay, let's try again. All right, so we're warmed up, and that helps me. That helps me because I was sweating a little bit earlier. Okay. I'm trying all this new technology. That wasn't the first slide. Tyler? Okay. Should I back up a little bit? All right, let me pray. Jesus, I just thank you for uh, the opportunity to talk here uh, today. And God, I, I just want to confess to you that the things that I'm speaking of now, I struggle with in my own life, God. And I just pray that uh, as I speak through them, God, you would teach me uh, in my own spirit more and more about these things. In your name, amen. Okay, I'm going to throw up a couple slides here. Uh, Simple slides, simple, but not so simple. What do you think about when you think about this word, this man, this this, this guy, Jesus? For some of you, he may be a little bit scary. For some of you, he may be uh, your ultimate joy. For some of you, it may be... uh, a guy that you had really deep relationship with in the past, but now maybe you're struggling just a little bit. 
Just let the, the word Jesus uh, swirl around a little bit in your mind. I'd like you to think about this, this entity, this, this person. I'll call him the enemy. Um, many, people, m- many people, and some even here, don't believe that this person even exists, that he's even part of the world that we live in today. Uh, but I want you to look at this, this uh, quote from John 10.10. 10. These are the words of Jesus. And he says, The thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I come that they may have life and have it to the full. And in this, in this verse, Jesus is, is saying that the thief is the enemy. The thief is Satan. The thief is the devil. And his only purpose is to steal, to kill and destroy in your and my life. And then in the same sentence, he says that he has come, Jesus has come, that we may have life and have life to the full. It's one simple text this morning. It seems simple. But it's a text that embodies the dichotomy that we as humans live on a day-to-day basis. The clash of two kingdoms summarized by Jesus in one sentence. My aim this, this morning is simple, to present to you two contrasting kingdoms, two entities that oppose one another in extremes that most of us don't fully understand. My desire is for you to leave this place with a fuller understanding of two things. So if I can get you to leave with these two things, this, this would be my goal. To get you, on one hand, to fully comprehend the glory that Jesus has for you in a life with him. I'll say that again. To get you to fully comprehend the glory that Jesus has in a life lived for him. And number two is to help you understand or remind you how much Satan is against you and how much he wants to kill and steal and destroy in your life and in your relationships. I can't talk about one without the other because Jesus and Satan, they oppose one another. They stand in stark contrast to one another. It's also the hope and the title of of the sermon this morning is that the eyes of your heart would be open to a parallel world that runs to the one that we see and we smell and we touch and we hear. That there is actually another world there and that the eyes of our heart would begin to be open to this world. That we wouldn't just live in what we see, but we would begin to understand in the new spiritual dimension of our lives. And that we'll be stand ready to fight in that dimension of our lives for our relationships and our families. You knew I do such a great job of logically thinking about things. I mean, most of us as Americans, especially, we want the facts. Just give me the facts, man. I'll take the facts. And if you could get the facts, then that's good enough. But you know what? In this world that that Jesus talks about, it's not all about facts. And I've learned to to begin to look with the eyes of my heart to see the bigger picture, to see life has much greater stakes than what seems apparent at first. So I want to begin and end this discussion talking about the glory that God has for you. And I'd like to show you a statement by uh, St. Arrhenius. This statement says, the glory of God is man fully alive. Do you believe that this morning, that the glory of God, God's glory, is you fully alive? And when I look at something like this, when I look at a statement like this, for me, I have to kind of pick it apart because I look at it and I go, okay, I kind of know what glory means. What does glory mean? I could kind of give you a definition. So what I did is I went to the Bible dictionary and I looked up a definition of glory. And this is going to make you really happy because it doesn't really make it easier. Glory is the weighty importance and shining majesty which accompanies God's presence. Okay? 
Glory is the weighty importance and shining majesty which accompanies God's presence. So if I substitute some of these definitions in for glory in the sentence, it kind of looks like this. The weightiness of God is shown in man being fully alive. Or something like this. The importance of God is reflected in man being fully alive. Do you understand that? The importance of God. The importance of God is in you being fully alive. It's reflected in you and I being fully alive. And I'll talk about more about that as we go along. And the last part is the shining majesty of God is man fully alive. When I hear these statements, I have to ask myself, is it possible? Is it possible that God's glory is so fully connected and closely connected to me being fully alive? Is that even reasonable that my being so alive is so important to God that you being fully alive is so important to God? Is that possible? I mean, God has a lot of things to think about. Does he really care if I'm fully alive? That he is fully lifted up. God is fully lifted up, honored and loved, and that his majesty is fully revealed when you and I are fully alive. Is it possible But as we open God's word and we look through the pages of God's word, I see all kinds of things about life. Jesus said in the verse we just read, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Other verses uh, in the Bible, I'll just read them quickly. I am the bread of life, says Jesus. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him, says Jesus. Proverbs says, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. You have made known to me the path of life, says Proverbs. John says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Come to me, all you who want life, says Jesus. And lastly, in Acts, tell the people the full message of this new life. Is it possible that St. Irenaeus is right? That God's glory comes when I am fully alive, right now, right now in this life on earth, You know, as Christians, we talk a lot about eternal life and eternal life. A lot of times to us means this life that happens after we die. So what's going to happen to you? Well, I spend eternity with Jesus in heaven. And that's exactly what we're taught when we say, if you ask Jesus into your life, then when you die, you're going to go to heaven and you have eternal life. And that's true. And that's such an incredible blessing, something that I can't even fathom. To live in God's presence for the rest of my existence, that's amazing. But what about the life right now? Is the promise of life only for the future, only out there after we die, only after we go to heaven? Are we just buying time here on earth, trapped in this sinful life, in this sinful world, until we get to heaven? I don't think so, and I don't think that Jesus saw it that way either. Check this verse out from Luke. I tell you the truth, Jesus said to them, no one who has left home or wife or brothers or parents or children for the sake of my kingdom will fail to receive many times as much in this age and in the age to come eternal life. So this whole thing about leaving your wife and your home and your sisters and your brothers and and basically Jesus is saying, I want first priority in your life. You have to be willing to give up everything else for me. Put everything else as second place. I come first place. And when you put me in first place, then you will not fail to receive as as many times as much in this age and also in the age to come. So Jesus is saying, 
We live in two different ages. This age is now, the life that we live in now. But then there's an age that's to come, and that's, that's the, the life after we die. But I think in this sentence, and if you look in the way the commas are put, the eternal life is not just saying, in the age to come, eternal life. It's saying, it's saying in this age, and in the age to come, comma, eternal life. And if we look at what eternal means, eternal actually doesn't mean I go through my life and at the end I begin eternal life. Eternal life means unending life. And Jesus wants that unending life to start now in your relationship with him. Now in your relationship here on earth. And I think that's what St. Arrhenius is saying. He's saying in this age we will receive, sorry, Jesus is saying in this age we receive many times as much right now and also in the age to come. Paul says something similar. Paul says, Godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. You see, both Jesus and Paul thought about life in segments, the life now and the life to come. But the eternal life is in both lives. And the eternal life starts now, unending life that Jesus offers us right now. But I have to be truthful and I look around in our Christian communities, I look around in this church and other churches that I've been part of, uh, in the experience with Youth with a Mission and the missionary experience that I had, and I wonder sometimes, where is the life that I'm reading about in, in, this, in the Bible that I love so much? Why does the vibrant life, the new life that I see portrayed throughout Scripture, seem so rare sometimes? Why does it seem so far off? Why do I end some of my own days feeling like there's more of a sense of death than there is of life. More of a sense of battle than I do a sense of life. Why does life as a Christian seem sometimes so overwhelming, sometimes so daunting, so stressful, sometimes so lifeless? Does anybody else ever feel that way? So I think the answer can basically be summarized in this statement. And I took St. Irenaeus' statement and I, I changed it around a little bit. Check this out. See if you think this is true. The glory of Satan is man fully dead. The importance of Satan is that man is fully dead. Satan does not want us to have the life that God wants us to have. And he'll do anything to take it away. His glory is when you and I are fully dead. Jesus says it like this, the same verse. The thief comes to steal, to kill and destroy. To me, that sounds like death. To me, that sounds like harm. To me, that doesn't sound like good. And Jesus said it himself in that that same statement. Why would Jesus put these two things together in the same statement? I mean, it seems kind of odd. But at the same time, it seems rather logical when he wants to show us that the life he offers us is opposed. He says, I have come to give you life, but it's opposed. And who is it opposed by? It's opposed by the enemy of our soul. This person, this being we call Satan. Many other different names in the Bible, but I'm referring him to as, to, as Satan today. The author is life. Jesus came to give us life in the full. But you and I are going to have to fight for it because there's an enemy in our lives with a completely different agenda than what Jesus has for us. There's absolutely something against us opposing the very life that Christ wants for us. We are at war. Do you believe that? Do you believe that we are at war 
We look around, especially in America, it doesn't feel much like we're at war. But if we can open the eyes of our heart and see a different dimension, a spiritual dimension, we are absolutely at war. And the Bible that you hold in your hands, hopefully hold in your hands every day, the Bible talks about this from start to finish, that we are at war. And I hope that I can get you to to believe that. I think many of us kind of believe it. Some of us think, oh, maybe. And there's some of us that should just think, you know what, I don't even need to deal with that. But in order for us to understand this war fully, we need to first look at what was intended for us in the beginning. And there's so much to talk about in the Bible from the beginning to end, so I'm going to quickly summarize. In the very beginning of our time on earth, a great glory was given to us by the God who created us. All of us humans were made in the amazingly glorious image of God himself. And Adam and Eve were no exception, the first human beings. Both of them, man and woman, were fashioned as representatives of the wisest, bravest, strongest, most stunning being that has ever lived or whoever will lived, that being God himself. His glory in the beginning was our glory. We were his image bearers in the beginning. And everything that we could ever wish to be, Adam and Eve were. Everything we wished we could be, Adam and Eve were. They were fully alive, what God intends for us. This is what God intended. This is the way it was supposed to be. Look at these verses. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. We know this. We've read this verse. But have you read this verse from Psalms lately? When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers... The moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Crowned him with glory and honor. Man crowned with glory and honor. Have you ever heard that about yourself? You have glory and honor waiting for you. It was there at the beginning. God gave it to us at the beginning. So often we talk about original sin. We've heard plenty about original sin. And frankly, I'm tired of hearing about original sin. And the reason is because before original sin was original what? Glory. Before original sin was original glory. Original glory came before sin. And it's actually deeper to our nature than sin itself. Do you believe that? That the original glory came before sin. It's deeper to our nature than sin itself. Are we hearing what these verses are saying? We were made in the very image of God. We walked with him. We talked with him in the garden. We had dominion over his kingdom. This verse in Psalm says we were made just a little lower than the heavenly beings made with glory and honor. Does that sound good to anyone? It sounds really good to me. But what happened? Why do most of us, if you really get down to it, if we really get into an in-depth talk and we really start to explore our hearts, why do most of us think that that glory can never really be in our lives? I believe it's because the glory has been part of a long and brutal battle on this earth since the beginning of history. 
See, in the same garden where Adam and Eve walked, there was an enemy. And this mighty angel had once been glorious as well. As a matter of fact, he was the captain of the Lord's hosts. He was beautiful and powerful beyond compare, the Bible says. But he rebelled against God and he led a great battle against the forces of heaven and was cast out of heaven to earth itself. Forever locked out of his home in heaven, but not destroyed, he waited for the right moment to take his revenge. He's unable to defeat God. He's unable to defeat God in in the war in heaven. And so he turned on those who bore his image, Adam and Eve. We know the story. He lied to him about where the truth was found. He lied to them in the garden and they believed him. They bought the lie and they listened to Satan's advice. And they themselves were banished from the garden. This is not the way it was supposed to be. But so many of us live our lives, even as Christians, if the story, as if the story stops here. That we are living in a sinful world, defeated until we die and begin eternal life with God in heaven. But from the beginning, God did not abandon us. If you look through the Old Testament, a central theme of the Old Testament is actually war, where God is fighting for his people. Throughout the Old Testament. And when it comes to Jesus, sometimes we think that 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 whole element of war in the Bible stops. That Jesus came to bring peace and joy. And that's true. He did come to bring peace and joy. No doubt about it. As a matter of fact, we call him the Lamb of God. That sounds pretty peaceful. But if we listen to Jesus' words in Matthew 10, 34, this is what he says. He says, I did not come to bring peace, but I came to bring a sword. If you even think about the birth of Jesus, this, this cradle that we talk about at Christmas time, it's, it's so beautiful and so sweet and cozy. Thinking about Mary and Jesus, swaddling clothes, manger, new life, it's so, so amazing. And it is amazing when we think about that as a Christmas story. But how about looking at it from a spiritual dimension? And if you look at it from a spiritual dimension, Jesus' birth is an invasion on This world, an invasion on the world that Satan reigns here on earth. God sent his son to invade the Satan of kingdom. Satan's kingdom, sorry. Satan's kingdom. And if you think about it that way, the Christmas story kind of has a different dimension, a different feel, a different understanding. As a matter of fact, the enemy who is completely opposed to Jesus and, of course, has been opposed to him since the beginning, the enemy, I believe, influenced King Herod to actually kill all the children two years and younger in Bethlehem and the vicinity just trying to kill Jesus. From the beginning, Satan wanted Jesus dead. From the beginning, Satan attacked Jesus himself. And if you look at Jesus' life, it's marked with battle from beginning to end. Battle and confrontation. As he kicks out demons with authority, he rebukes the fever and the sickness. He confronts the religious leaders of of his day. For their hypocrisy, he raises Lazarus from the dead and then he offers himself as a sacrifice for our sins and then fights off death to live forever at the right hand of God. Jesus was about war and he's at war with this enemy that we call Satan. War is not just a theme in the Bible. It's the very backdrop of the whole story. And then I bring it to here in Eagle River, here in our own lives and this group of people. And I ask you to look into your own lives. Is anyone having any personal war? How about your marriage? Is there any war going on there? How about your family, your kids, your broken relationships, your friendships, your attempted walks and fails with Jesus? 
How about your addictions? Your self-condemnation? Your rejection? Your battle for control? Your whatever? All of us have these personal battles, these personal wars that are going on because Satan does not want us to know the true glory and honor that God has for us. And maybe if you can't see Satan attacking you in a certain area, might I submit that you look in the places where you're being lulled to sleep. It's another great tactic of Satan. And I think it's a tactic that he's using proficiently here in America. Lulling us to sleep. Everything's going good. Everything's going great. But what are the things that he's lulling you to sleep in? Places where without much effort, he can keep you from the purposes that God has for you. Peter says this, Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We are at war and our enemy doesn't stop. His prowling is unending and we need to stay in the fight to defend our families, to defend our relationships, and even to defend ourselves. And what is God fighting for from beginning to end? What would cause this type of battle throughout history? He's fighting for this. He's fighting for your freedom and he's fighting for your restoration. From what happened at the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve. He wants this for you in your life. He wants to give you freedom. He wants to give you restoration. He wants to give you healing. A restoration back into what he made us into in the very beginning. The way it was supposed to be. Before original sin comes original glory. The glory of God is man fully alive. That is his glory. That is worth fighting for. That's worth sending his son down to earth for. Is your glory, your and my honor. So you and I can be fully alive. Tell me if this sounds right. You believe in Jesus and you will tell anyone that you ask, anyone that asks you that you're a Christian. You live your life in the busyness of your schedule. You give God your time. Once in a while. Many times you fail in your attempts to be what you think God wants you to be. You seek forgiveness, you try again, and eventually shame and disappointment begin to cloud your understanding of yourself and God. And when this ongoing hell on earth is over, you're taken before God for full account of how you didn't measure up. But you did ask Jesus into your life. And so you're forgiven and you're given your place in the choir of heaven. Does that sound right to anybody? Does that sound full? Does that sound like life? That's not what Jesus wants for us. But the sad news is a lot of us, a lot of times, think that that's what Christianity is all about. We just live our lives here in any way that we can figure out how. And when we get to that point where we die and we're separated from this one stage of life and go into the other stage of life, then we begin eternal life. But that is not how God wants it. There's more. There's a lot more. Look at this verse. I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from your heart the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. What would that mean for us if all of us as Christians lived from a new heart? Allowing ourselves to believe what the Bible says, that our heart is from God. Our new heart when we ask Jesus into our life is from God and that heart is good. 
Will we at times stumble back into our own life, our old way of living and our old heart? Yes. Will Satan be fighting a constant war to keep us back in our old heart? Yes, absolutely. Will, will Satan... Excuse me, but it's not something we have to accept. We can walk forward and not backward. We can pray like crazy for God to show us the glory and the honor that He intended for us in the beginning and the glory and the honor He intends for us right now as we live here on earth. Live a new life from a new heart. When we truly give ourselves to Jesus with our mind and our body and our soul, He doesn't just do something for us. He does something profound and something profound happens to us. Our hearts are the problem. Hearts that Satan wants to keep distracted. Hearts that Satan wants to keep separate from God. Hearts that Satan wants to continue to veil so the eyes of our hearts don't see the true reality around us. But when we realize that Jesus is real, when we realize that what Jesus said is true and we give ourselves to Him fully, then God goes after our hearts and He replaces our hearts of stone with hearts of flesh. Hearts that are malleable in His hands like clay in a potter's hand. Our old nature of sin and a deceived heart are replaced and put aside and we begin a new life of glory. You and I have been way more than just forgiven. Way more than just forgiven. God wants us to have a new heart. He gives us a new heart and He wants from that new heart for us to live a new life for Him in glory and in honor. We don't have to be stuck in our sinful ways anymore. We can move forward. We have been delivered from what has held us back since the beginning. And we get new lives. And this is the way it's supposed to be. So those of you who claim to know Christ this morning... I pray that you walk into 2013 with the eyes of your heart open, open to the life that Jesus wants for you right now, open to his freedom and his restoration and to the realization that you have a new heart and that Satan is doing everything he can to neutralize your new heart and to destroy it, to steal it and kill it and make you believe that none of it is true. I pray the eyes of your heart will be open to see the spiritual battle that surrounds you and that you're ready to fight. Walk into 2013 knowing that with new life and a new heart Jesus has given you, you are on your way of reclaiming the glory and honor that God has intended for you since the beginning of time. Live from that new heart. And if you are here this morning with more questions than answers, that's okay. All of us have them. All of us have the questions. I just pray that this would be a safe place for you to explore who Jesus is for your life and that you will press into what Jesus has for you in 2013. The offer of a new life and a new heart is for you. I end this with Jesus' words. I believe they're so much more powerful than anything that I could speak. I have come that you may have life and that you may have life to the full. May you live life to the full in Jesus, and by doing so, bring glory to God. Amen.